Oh, hello there. Welcome to the Food and Movies podcast, the f- podcast where we investigate the intersection between food and movies. Today we have Jeremy, my friend. Jer, what is the movie today? So we get such positive responses from our four viewers when or listeners, whatever mm-hmm. the case may be, whenever we do mob movies. Um, people don't seem to get sick of them, and neither do we. So we are continuing... Our uh, our journey through the Godfather franchise with the Godfather two. Whether or not we ever do three, that'll you know we'll, we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. But Absolutely. um, <laughs> but we are we are doing the second one today. Yes, we are. We are doing the second Godfather movie. For those at home, this is the movie where we examine all instances of food in popular movies, tell jokes, go on tangents, and generally give our thoughts about uh, uh, very popular movies, but mostly food-based. Uh, we give our initial thoughts and then go down the list chronologically of food as it appears in the movie, and then our closing thoughts. But, Jer, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about something uh, completely non-movie-based, but I thought it was an interesting anecdote. Let's talk about tracksuits for a second. Absolutely. It's a staple in the mob movie genre. It's a staple in mob characters in real life, one understand. And yep. we have a history of tracksuits. We love tracksuits. We love tracksuits. So to, I, there, there are certain highlights. You know how like um, there's certain times in your life where say like uh, someone is about to spill a glass of water off a table and you catch the glass. It's like a highlight. We're yeah. like, yes, I, I really nailed something there. You know? Yeah, I really, I really stepped up my game. Yeah, one of my highlights in life was the time when I wore a tracksuit to Anderson and yeah. blew your mind and several other people's minds. Yeah. And I, I really felt good by the reaction I got from it, from wearing a complete tracksuit to, Mo- <laughs> to monochromatic, Monochromatic. It was Adidas three-strike. I remember this day. Please t- this, tell me your tell me your impression day, of what you saw. T- what did you see when you when you saw? So this it? this day is etched in my mind as it is yours. Yeah. As as I I, don't, I wouldn't say part of my origin story. It's part of your mythology, se, though. But it is part of my mythology, and yeah. it basically opened up a a door or a Pandora's box mm-hmm. um, that I had been wanting to open for years, but never. I just didn't think it was going to work. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things that I really want to do that. This was like the four-minute mile. You're like, you didn't know you yeah. could do it until you saw someone do it. Yeah. And it's like it's like the Seinfeld episode where they're figuring out how to switch roommates, like how to yeah. date, she's dating one. And so the, yep. in my mind for years, I would say like, okay, well, I'm not a mobster. I'm not Eastern European. Um, how do I get away with this? And so when you came in Anderson – in that perfect, is it? It's a Firebird, the Adidas yep. Firebird, yep. the blue cla- classic. Yep. Yeah, it's like an off blue turquoisey yep. color, I believe. Yeah, and uh, I was like, "Oh, he's doing it." <laughs> oh, he he did. And you know what it was? What it took for me was to realize that no, there's nothing stopping no, me from you could doing do it. it. Yeah, there's absolutely nothing stopping me from doing it. And from that day, when I saw you, I like instantly went on. I think I went on my computer at work, like right that day, I think. and ordered a tracksuit. Yeah, yeah. And I haven't looked back. I, I own. I couldn't tell you how many now. <laughs> and I have them. I have them for occasions. Like, I actually have. How zero, you you know how many? Do you know how many have, or do you actually? Because uh, you went from zero tracksuits, and then that day, 
the, the we should have a name for that day. Your tracksuit birthday, perhaps, or your yeah. like, tracksuit baptism. I have maybe ten. Okay, it's in it's in the, it's getting to ten. Like it's it's in that vicinity. But you have no plans of stopping. You're just going to add your collection, right? Uh I mean, as of right now, I don't need any more. Okay, like I, right. I I legitimately my my wife bought me a kind of like it's almost like a formal tracksuit. Mm-hmm. It's like a pinstripe bomber jacket with their dress pants, but when you wear it together, it looks like a tracksuit. But then if I put a shirt and tie on underneath, I could go to a like it, it's a very specific outfit, uh, okay. very, and I'm very proud of it. And then I have like some very high end tracksuits. I have a silk uh, like checked tracksuit that's pretty cool. But then I have, yeah. but the staple are the Adidas Firebirds. I have like three of those. Classic, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, <clears throat> yeah, I do remember that day as one of my highlights, that where was it's big. like, yeah, I, I can. There's a certain part of my life which I consider to be um, basically performance art or theater. Yeah, you know, <laughs> very Andy Kaufman esque of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just like to have some fun with my life and do these little experiments every now, social experiments, if you will. So I brought in the tracksuit just just to see what the reaction would be from everybody. And uh, you immediately were like, oh, my God, that is it. Eureka. I, I, I now know what I was put on this earth to do, which is to buy and wear tracksuits, which you yeah. did. Nonstop. I believe Andrew Steal Your Girl also bought a tracksuit. Yeah. Remington bought one much later. He did. He always talked about it. And then he bought one. So from that. Yeah. From, from that heroic action you took that day. I am a hero, yes. Yeah. I'm like the Rosa Park oh. of tracksuits. Oh, my wife like has a love-hate relationship with you because I'm always like, well, Paul does it, so yeah. I, can, I can do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm that guy. <laughs> um, yeah, you're, you're the guy who's like, well, I'm like, well, Paul, Paul gets to do this. <laughs> um, and so, but uh, we left Anderson. I left Anderson, and I went to a different agency yep. and started a day – because I wore it one day like you did. Like I was like, I'm just doing it. And mm-hmm. and the HR person was like, I don't know how I feel about this. Makes HR people very uncomfortable. It's weird. They it's, it's it's like a glitch in the matrix. They don't know what to do. They absolutely don't. Yeah. And so I said, Well, let's compromise. We'll start a day for the whole agency. Everyone can wear one if they want. And yeah. like it turned out that the guy, the president of the agency, love tracksuits <laughs> like it was his thing and so she tried the hr person tried to she she tried to stop it kind of she was like i don't know but he was yeah. like we're doing this we're doing and this, he yeah. had and I, I i since then i bought a couple of the ones that he has um velour tracksuits with the monogram hell yeah i have a hell couple yeah. of those they're fantastically okay. comfortable yeah, um, well, I saw the poster. You guys actually made Naz, one of our colleagues, made a poster for the tracksuit day that he yeah. sent me. Yeah. Or I think maybe you sent it to me. I'm not sure. Someone sent it Someone. to me, but Naz made it. Yeah, it blew yeah, up. Yeah, it was a full-on thing. Like, how many people wore tracksuits on tracksuit day? I'm curious. Most people wore tracksuits. A few people wore tracksuits. Most people were like, you know, if they didn't have it like a proper tracksuit, it was like a Lululemons or, or a sweatsuit that matched. Like, I have a couple okay. sweat sweatsuits that match. I don't consider them tracksuits. They're tracksuit adjacent, but you're right. Yeah. They're not the same thing. Yeah. They have, if unless they have like a, like one of them is like quilted, mm-hmm. you know, that like diamond pattern on quilts for his the pleasure. Whole, yeah. Yeah. The whole sweatsuit is that. 
Mm. And it, it's mm-hmm. the most comfortable thing you'll ever wear. Mm. Um, and I, and I wear them out, but I also like when I go to gym or whatever, I wear, you know, the tracksuit's a very useful piece of apparel. And that's why the mob, like if we're going to, you know, direct it back to the mob, mm-hmm. maybe not the Godfather mob, because they weren't really, they, they, you know, those are the 1950s tracksuits didn't really exist back then. Right. But. Henry if, Hill wore one in Goodfellas. In Henry Jay. Hill, yeah. uh, Pacino in Johnny, uh, Donnie Brasco. Mm-hmm. He wears a lot of very good tracksuits. But oh, the nice. king of tracksuits in any mob scenario is um, Polly Walnuts. Polly and, Walnuts with no shirt underneath, right? Yeah, but the he wears chain. these like high end. I looked into it because I clearly wanted to buy some of the tracksuits. <laughs> but you can't get them. They were made for the show and they're like high end Italian. Like they're thousands of dollars. Yeah. As, and so they're just so unattainable. That, that that's the holy grail of tracksuits. Wow, man. I tell you, man, that day I really thought that it would I would I would have some kind of ripple effect and it really did. You know? It, it changed uh, it changed the world. Yeah, I think so. Well when I was at Grip, I did some I did the opposite of this, which is uh everyone at Grip, this is like two thousand I wanna say nine to thirteen ish around there. Everyone was wearing um plaid shirts all the dudes were you know those yeah, yeah, plaid yeah. collared shirts yeah. with the jeans yeah like the entire agency was like extremely casual the hipster and lumberjack vibe hipster lumberjack a lot of sneaker kind of culture but there was a mood within advertising at that time which i think it was peak look at how cool i am basically everyone wanted to be we're not like corporate we're super cool we have yeah. cool ideas and it was expressed in their dress where they were basically dressing like teenagers, the entire agency world of men. Anyway, women kind of had had nice clothes to wear. But dudes, they were really projecting teenage energy. I feel yeah. like even seniors. I was working there and I was, you know, I was unknown. No one like, you know, uh, uh, no one really knew me. I wasn't I was kind of under the radar. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to base my entire wardrobe around ties. So I wore tie based. It'd always be like a tie with a blazer or pants or tie with a crew neck or, or like a cardigan. Yeah. But everything was tie based. Sometimes it would be a tie with some khakis and a shirt with, with no other t- top layer. But I started going seriously into tie based fashion yeah. and I saw the effect it had. It was exactly like you said, dudes, I could see that like, they did, would do double takes and then yeah. next week they'd be in a tie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it would be the same thing with you. Like, they didn't realize they could do that. It was just, they had no idea until they saw it. And they're like, oh, whoa, we can do that. And then, yeah. It's interesting because as, as I think as a species, humans are like, they're, they're natural followers. So there are some of yeah, us. Mimetic, mimetic style, yeah, mimetic. Yeah, exactly. We're going right back to cinema sandwiches. Please watch the Pete Davidson sandwich. Dude. Um, talks all about this. Uh, but we are natural followers. Some of us are leaders. There are some that step, you know, can break that mold and step out as leaders. But for the most part, if one person in advertising is wearing like the plaid shirt, you know, the hipster lumberjack look, I did it. I, you know, I still have the beard. That yep. stuck. Um, everyone else just starts to. Yeah. Yeah. Right? We really are looking at each other all the time and mimicking each other without even realizing it. You know, I think at my next, if I ever go back into an agency, yeah. I'm going to do like, you remember office space? Yeah. Like that look, like the tie with the t-shirt dress shirt. Yeah. with the And like the, 
the khakis. They had the po- maybe the pocket protector, maybe not. Mm-hmm. But go pure like eighties stressed out cubicle culture. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and just be that guy and see what people say. Wow, I, I completely encourage uh, people taking fashion risks because. The funny thing is, is you can wear whatever you want. You can you can wear a completely different style, but keep your personality the same and just cause ripples in your life. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. For sure. Yeah. Anyway, that was uh, the tracksuit caper of yeah. uh, 2019, I believe, or 2020. The sure. defining moment for both of us, actually. I think it. I think it actually cemented our friendship. Yeah, that that kind of bonded us through fashion. I think. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, tracksuits, we, we highly encourage it. But today we are talking about The Godfather. Let's get on with this, for God's sakes. Um, Let's jump right what, in. Yeah, what are, you, what are your initial thoughts on Godfather Part 2, which you and I both agree is not only the better Godfather, the best Godfather film of the tr- franchise, but also the best gangster movie of all time. I yeah. Believe. We both think that. It seems like a more evolved version of the first one. It does. Um, it does. It, the first one was very involved, but this one you could tell it was just like. Yeah. And yeah. it's two movies, mm-hmm. which are, which is interesting to me. Right. And it's, yeah. a, it's a Bob De Niro movie on one end and it's an Al Pacino movie on the other. So this is the first time those two were together in a movie, I believe. Yeah. Um, and, you know, these are two of the biggest heavy hitters in mob style movies to date, right? Mm-hmm. Like Pacino and and De Niro. So when they come together in movies like Heat and uh, that one that Scorsese just did that was like four hours long. Um, Irishman. Yeah, the one about Jimmy Hoffa and uh, and and The Godfather Part Two. although they were never in the same scene in The Godfather Part Two, But right. um, it's kind of magical for me, mm-hmm. at least. I, it, it makes me excited. Um, and both stories have interesting arcs, right? And they, they, you know, there's correlations and lessons to be learned between the two, but uh, one is of Pacino's dad and his yep, kind the of- Vito co- Corleone. The Vito Previously Corleone. Previously played by uh, Brando, now played by the young De Niro. Bobby D. Yep. Um, and it's, you know, and De Niro actually kind of embodied what Brando started. Like he yep. didn't take it in a new direction. He did that. Like he basically was like, the character had been born. He just morphed into it, and he uh, made. I, yeah, he 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 definitely had the same energy that yeah. Brando projected. You can, yeah, yeah, he did do that. But he took it in his own places. But but he kind of he stayed true to the origin, which I think is what made this such a successful sequel. It was so much like the first one in every way, except the story was a bit richer. And, mm. and, and, and time had progressed and things, you know, interesting things were happening. Um, and it didn't, it, it, it expanded the Scorsese verse a little bit because now we're in Nevada. Now we're in Cuba. Now we're in, uh, we're back in Italy. You know, Michael went back, but we're in Corleone. And, 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 and so that all these great stories are happening. Um, and so that's what makes this the best Godfather. And yeah. the best mob movie. If, but your thoughts? Yeah, a lot of what you said, man. Like uh, the the idea of creating two parallel timelines. One with we watched De Niro. Basically, Pacino's origin story was Godfather One. So mm-hmm. Michael's origin story was basically Godfather One. 
And in Godfather 2, that's kind of half of it is Vito's origin story. Yeah. Who we've already seen the old Vito. Now we're seeing the young Vito. We're seeing how he became the Godfather and the steps that he had to take. Yeah. While that's going on, there's this spiritual connection between his son, Michael, who is who has taken his place and is now going through his own things, which Vito probably had to go through when he attained power, which is all the backstabbing, all the infighting, all the, you don't know who's your enemy, who's your friend, all the politics that comes along with being the king. Michael is now going through that. While we see his father negotiate, it's kind of like Michael's story is picking up where Vito's story leaves off in a way. Yeah. But... Yeah, again, the richness of, of of locations and of characters, and man, Lee Strasberg in this was absolutely incredible in his uh, in his role as Hyman Hyman Roth. Yeah, uh, but we can get into that. And I think that just there wasn't Hollywood wasn't really a sequel factory back then. There was no. very few sequels. Like Gone with the Wind didn't have a sequel, you know. Um, so the most popular movies were kind of one offs, and this this was one of the first. This Rocky Two, Saturday Night Fever. So the 70s is where you see the corporatization of filmmaking coming in, yeah. where studios are now being run by actual corporations who have a you know agenda and a mandate to grow. And they're like, listen, we're going to take the sequel. Just, the numbers work out better. So there was an element of that to it as well. And looking at Godfather Part Two now, knowing what Godfather 3 is, you just see so much lost potential from Godfather 3. Yeah, you know, like what could yeah. have been, and like how do how do you make Godfather three after you make Godfather two? I just I, that was it. Like I don't know where they take that story. And Godfather mm-hmm. three was a little bit later on in the game too, right? Like that, way later, yeah, way later. It was. It wasn't like th- these two felt a little bit closer, and then Godfather three is kind of the. It, it's like when now when they make a sequel to a movie from when we were a kid. Yeah, and like like Bill and Ted or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and they bring back like Dolph Lundgren, and he's like eighty, yeah. and you're like, all right, fair enough, but it's it, like it, that, yeah, it, it's like Top Gun Maverick, right? Which was awesome, by the way. Oh yeah, no, to- <laughs> totally successful sequel. If it yeah. even is a sequel, I don't know if, would you call it that. But The Godfather Three, not so much. But Godfather mm-hmm. Two, arguably the most successful sequel in film history. And I think it comes down to the point where, where you're right. Franchise filmmaking hadn't wasn't a thing. So if you were making another movie, it was because you didn't finish the story in the first one, mm-hmm. and you had still had a great story to tell. As opposed to we're just going to churn out more of this schlock so that we can put butts in seats and and, and make money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. you know, I'm sure the goal was to make money as well, but. It seems to me like they had a better story to tell. Well, I think it's just Coppola, man. Like, uh, you can't deny talent when you got a guy that talented yeah. and you let him loose. At least for the beginning of his career, he's going to make some magic. A lot of these guys do run amok later on. I, yeah, some, I feel some like. people. Yeah. yeah, they kind of run out of ideas or, or, or whatnot. But he, he was at his creative peak at that point. And you just gave him an unlimited budget and said, let's go, man. Let's see what you can do. And he did continue all of the 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 great kind of Shakespearean kind of Greek tragedy arcs and, and illusions to this yeah, uh, that he started off with the Godfather. So it's just great to have someone who actually went to theater school and is a student of theater and, and, a, and, a, and is a dramatist. And that's yeah. his trade. Like he's an old school guy. 
and put, applying all those old school techniques and all those all those really kind of intellectual and scholarly techniques onto something that's considered pedestrian, like a gangster film, is what really elevates this entire um, genre and and this, these entire all these movies. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to miss that nowadays because I I really don't think like the the films these days. Um, I'm gonna sound like an old guy, but <laughs> but yeah, the, there there is a little bit of a lacking of I think the the bringing of a real intellect intellectual intellectualization into to movies and raising them in 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 an intellectual way instead of just kind of gangster movies. Now I think are a little bit more. They're almost parodies of gangster movies at yeah. this point. A modern know? a modern a modern mafia movie. Um, is like the modern mafia, right? Mm. It just, it, 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 it no longer makes sense. I mean, the mafia, I don't know. I can't, it doesn't seem to exist as much anymore just because law enforcement has finally caught up with them. I'm sure it's still, I'm sure it still does, but organized crime is not so much that kind of, it's not, it's, it's drug based now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's mostly like, um, I believe from the drugs are coming in from Mexico, so it's a lot of yeah. Mexican uh, so and and so the, I think the Sopranos really hit the nail on the head when uh, when the uh, I forget who which two characters it was, but they it was one it was the one of the twins and and maybe Vincent Pastore or somebody else. Um, they go into like a Starbucks, like a coffee bean, and they try to shake them down, and the guys like. You know, we wouldn't want anyone to get injured or, you know, a window broken. How would your boss feel about that? And he's like, they live in Seattle. They they don't feel anything. <laughs> right? Like, the, the mob, the the tactics that the mob use that you see in this movie, specifically in the, in the De Niro portions of this movie, of, you know, I want my son to work here, so now you got to fire the actual good worker you have. Um, right. The, you know, you paying protection shakedown stuff like that it doesn't happen it can't happen anymore because no, every, everything's a corporation so maybe you know maybe hey let's get a little political here for a second maybe let's do the, it. maybe the corporations are the uh oh. the, the new mob i don't know oh my god just saying just you're gonna saying. get a shutdown oh, i know yeah we're <laughs> Oh man, um, yeah. I, I uh, one of the modern mob movies I really liked was uh, what was that Viggo Mortensen one with um, with Cronenberg? East, Eastern Promises. Or, Eastern Promises. Or yeah, History yeah. of Violence was kind of a mob movie. Yeah, but Eastern Promises I thought was good because again that had like a mythological structure. It had that whole Greek tragic structure of this child of being born who's going to take down the man who actually is trying to. You know, cast. He was, he was the 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 child of a prostitute um, who was trafficked over here, and it was the uh, the drug, not the drug, but the mob king who was her the child's father, and the king wants to kill the child, thinks it's being done, but eventually the child, yeah. the presence of the child takes down the king. So that's like uh, there's a lot of that story of Moses mixed in with Oedipus and all that, a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, every every story I've ever heard of a child. Uh, being uh, the, the child of a of a famous of a powerful person being sent to die, they always leave in the woods for some reason. Yeah, yeah. and it always survives and cu- and grows up to kill the king every single. Yeah, well, I mean, let's look, like let's look at this for a second. 
Vito runs off into the woods, young Vito. Yeah. Co- comes back, kills the king. Kills the king. <laughs> exactly right. And that's exactly a, right. That's a savage murder. Oh yeah. How he Cold. does that with the knife. Like yep. that's a savage murder. Like that's brutal. Like you can tell he's been thinking about that one for a while. Yeah, that's like, a that's a painful that looks like a very painful way to die. Yeah. Man. The Sicilians, they are I love it. I, I love it. I love it. The, the 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 violence once again in this movie is is very like you know, it, you feel it, right? Yeah, I was thinking about the way I've studied this actually a little bit. The way Coppola his his philosophy on violence is it has to be a little bit strange yeah. so you remember it. So yeah. when uh, Don, um, what's his nose there? The main, the main guy, the the guy that Vito. No. Oh, Don John Chichi or whatever. Don Finucci. Oh, Finucci. Don Finucci. When when Vito is like he wraps the the towel around his hand. And then when Don Venucci shows up, he's, he's about to go in, but then he stops and he looks at the light bulb and he kind of taps it and the light goes on and off. And you see, you know, Vito, you see him for the, the light exposes him for a second then off and exposes him for a second. And then he slowly turns and pow, pow, and one goes through his cheek and he yeah. doesn't die immediately. And like, you know what I mean? Like there's all these little tiny details. But that's when it, it comes right? to, yeah. Is like in, in, and, and that's, you know, the shot through the cheek is, a very specific deliberate thing because yeah. usually when when they do like a guy getting shot in a movie it's always like right it's always here yeah you never like but no if you're quickly murdering somebody and you're not you know you, you're not a trained gunman you're you're going to put it through his cheek and it's going to yeah. do the exact same thing that this would do just through the cheek you know, and that, so it's an imperfect kill, but that's how murder usually probably, you know, usually is. Yeah, it's it's, cause it's like weirdness. It's kind of, and it stays on that shot for a second where like the guy's shot in the cheek, but he's still looking at you, still yeah. looking. is like, he doesn't know he's shot, right? And it's like, yeah. yeah so the strangeness of violence, is, Coppola does that really well. He did it in the first one too. Um, yeah. But it makes it, it, it makes it visceral. You feel it, right? And I always say this. There are certain ways of doing violence that makes the violence way more effective. Yes. And way more, you know, you can have a gunfight where everyone's got unlimited bullets and they're all, you know, shooting their guns like over things and da da da. Or you can have a very realistic and fast gunfight that is maybe less like people diving everywhere, but it, it conveys the same excitement. Mm-hmm. in a very quick and realistic way yeah i also think it's more cinematic too yeah it's just you know? sc- it's scarier yeah the the actual montage editing the way they put the shots together it's just more effective it's just yeah but uh anyway those are my thoughts on the godfather do you have any more or should we just no in? no i'm good i'm good all right, we dive into Godfather 2 uh this is a parallel storyline of young Vito, played by robert de niro and he is making his way from a lowly, you know, um, I'm not even sure what it is. He's just, he's just an odd job guy trying to immigrant from it, from Italy, trying to do things in New York and to feed his family. And then you have Michael, who is now the head of the family. And he's his life is nothing but problems, just one problem after another. And so we see how Michael is trying to figure out how to be a king while Don Vito is rising up to become a king. 
Yeah. He's a pauper at the time. He wants to become a prince and then eventually become the king by killing the king, which is how you become king. Yeah. We get into it and it's funny because the early part of this movie is similar to the because it's a, it's a gathering. I believe it's a wedding. And then the first Godfather was also 20 minutes of a wedding with people coming to the Godfather. But uh, in part uh, two, Pen- it, in yeah. part two, it's not a wedding. His son was getting christened. Sorry, christening. My bad. Uh, but it's another Catholic ceremony, uh, yeah. religious ceremony, family and friends gathering. Yeah. And uh, uh, Panatelli, I believe his name is. Panatelli. Pentangeli? Pentangeli. Pentangeli, whatever. Pentangeli. He shows up drunk and... I love these scenes because this is what really happens at family gatherings. That Absolutely. one uncle shows up and just, he's drunk. He's got an agenda. He's here. Know. He's here to see the, the dawn. He has, but he's getting kind of pushed aside and he just, yeah. but so he's just getting lit because he's nothing else to do. Yeah. And he says, I got to check up on my boys. Hey, what's in the food? Some kind of white jacket brings me a Ritz cracker and some chopped liver. Kind of piss, I said. Yeah. I say, can it, can it be easy? My ass, that's Ritz cracker with chopped liver. Go get me salami sandwich and a glass of wine. I'll send you and your wife a jacket to the, your white jacket to the dry cleaner. So he shows up and immediately starts making fun of the food, yeah. which I think for an Italian, pretty accurate. That's what you do pretty, when you get to these things. Pretty standard. Yeah. He wanted, he said he wanted sausage and peppers or something like that. And, yeah. And, um, or salami and peppers, which is like a very New York, italian thing right but now yeah. they're they're in nevada they're lake lake tahoe or wherever they are so they're living the high life and the, this new york street boss is he looks he, very out of place he's just yeah <laughs> he's, a, he's a fish out of water yeah. right and this is kind of a thing with the mob like it's a, in in a lot of mob movies and tv shows you get the street bosses or like the guys that are like old school resenting the people who nepo babies the michael who's sure yeah he's a he's a he is is he not yeah but i'd (laughs) if if my dad was like yeah if you want to follow in my footsteps you got to kill a guy Mm -hmm. i don't know but i also think i also think the mob is very much you know i think nepotism plays a huge role in the mob Uh, but uh until later on, like more recent stuff like Sopranos, where these like, I don't want my kid anywhere near this. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Right. But yeah. But another moment I thought was a great example of stuff that actually does happen in real life. <laughs> Minute 28 the, at the the toast. There's It's a bunch of the family members around a table. And uh, I believe Connie says uh, Chenta, which means a okay. hundred years Live a hundred years, so yeah. it's a nice blessing for everyone. Then she says under her breath, very passive aggressively, "It'd be true if my father were alive." And then, of course, Michael kind of like was like, "That's a jab at him," you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, but what's what's funny is is she's upset because of the scene that just happened previously, when basically he's like, "I don't." She's saying, "I want to marry this fella." Yeah. Oh, he looks clueless. That dude. Her yeah. his new her new way. And, and her, the guy's like. And the guy shows up and he's, you know, typical non-mobster shows up. Can I get a drink? And like, oh, who's this guy? You're not so tough. And I want to stand around here. And then Michael proceeds to like dress him down without even addressing him as a human being. Yeah. 
Yep. It's yep. one yep. of the best scenes. And one day, I'm doing that to somebody. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm doing that to somebody. Hell yeah. Just, they're not even, like, I don't want, like, I'd be like, are you sure you want to be here for this conversation? Yeah, yeah, I do. And then I'm just going to pretend like they aren't there. Yeah, yeah. And just say the most awful stuff about that person. Right, right. Because right, it's right. so, it's so effective. <laughs> Just belittling, man. Just, just yeah, really, really powerful and belittling. Really, must have sucked to be that guy. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, the vibe I got from him was that he, she picked him just to annoy the family. It seems yeah. like, yeah. And he, I kind of think he might be closeted. He seemed kind of, oh, bit, maybe a I don't know. A little side story there. Maybe. Like, he seemed kind of... I got that vibe from him. Like, he might be a closet guy that she picked him specifically for that reason. I mean, it would be... It, it, it would be interesting, right? Like, mm -hmm. he, she's his beard, and they get to go and do whatever and have fun, and she can still be... You know, maybe. I, I don't think it would add or take away anything from the story if he was. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it definitely did seem like she chose him as a direct rebellion against her family. Yeah. Whether or not he's gay or not, he's definitely kind of like, he's not Italian. He's not someone they know. He's not, he's not customs. He's not one of them. Yeah, he's an outsider. Yeah. So interesting choice, which I thought was, uh, added a lot of depth to the character. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Pentangeli, our boy, at minute 30, Finally does meet with Michael and he says, Michael, you're sitting up here in the Sierra Mountains with champagne cocktails, making judgments on the way I run my family. Your family still carries the name Corleone. You will run it like a Corleone, Michael says to him. In Sicilian, by the way. Yeah. And then Pentangeli comes back. My family doesn't eat here, doesn't eat in Las Vegas, doesn't eat in Miami with Hyman Roth. So, you know, food playing a big part in their kind of metaphorical sparring session on power yeah. distribution of power as uh you know what i mean i mean this and and then you cut to to vito's rise vito corleone it's, mm. it's important because the way that mob started out and these old school guys like petre or whatever um they do this they wouldn't have chosen this lifestyle where you like kill or be killed if yeah. it wasn't to feed your family that was yeah. why they, that was why the sicilians did it in the first place they weren't getting a fair shake when they came over and, and the mob worked in, in Sicily. So they brought it over and gave themselves a fair shake. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's that analogy of food. My family eats, right. The, he equates the work he's doing with putting food on the tape. Yeah. And that's, that's very important. I like the way he said it too, you know? Yeah. Is like, uh, there was a nice rhythm to it. My family doesn't eat here, doesn't eat in Las Vegas, doesn't eat in Miami with Hyman Roth. You know, I like to be able to say something that poetic to somebody and like earnest and mean it. And Hyman Roth's an interesting character because he's Jewish. Yeah. And he talks about what's his name, uh, Rothstein, uh, doing the Vegas thing too. He's like, he, idolized. yes, Philip, he was very salty about that. Yeah. But that he, dude, Rothstein getting his eye blown out with the gun, which yeah. is another great example of violence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Roth is, and the Italians and the Jews kind of had the same, they were cast the same way when they, and the Irish, when they came over from Europe. Um, so the Italians and the Jews would do a lot of business together. Oh, there you the go. The mob, the mob and the Jews. Um, and, uh, I mean, 
the Jewish mafia. Lansky, yeah. Meyer Lansky and Luciano. No, Luciano. Yeah. No, a few a few other guys in the in the murder yeah. ink and stuff like that. There were a lot of tough Jews, um, which is funny to me because, <laughs> hey, bro, there were a lot I, of Jewish boxers back in the day. Yeah, I'm not sure. That. I'm not sure what happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Slapsy Maxi Rosenblum. I can get to that guy's defense, man. He was incredible. I, I actually do know what happened. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> you guys por- got money? Is that <laughs> no? A good portion of the most strongest and best Jews were taken out. Um, <laughs> oh, that's right. There was that. There right. Was that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the, the, the Jews and the Italians had a, a close knit relationship. And even in, in a lot of mob movies and stuff, as Sopranos, there's hash. Um, mm-hmm. there, there are a lot of characters that they, you know, they, they work together. And so, um, this is why Roth's character is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, it just I, yeah. explains the dynamic a little bit further. It tells a, a richer story. Absolutely. Uh, at minute 49, there's an incredible tracking shot uh, that goes from Vito to... It doesn't follow him, but it follows another person going across the street of the entire market. And it's just this incredible... The entire street is made up like it. it's yeah. old New York. It was an amazing shot. No CGI. But it shows the markets that are similar to when Vito eventually gets shot uh, by the gangsters when he's going to buy the oranges. You see at the very end of the shot, the orange stand is there as well. A little bit of foreshadowing as far as food goes. Right. And in the first one, the orange or the fruit seemed to always represent something about to go down. Yeah. It's actually, there's some of it in here, actually. We're going to, yeah, they do a bit here too. Not, not to the same extent. Like they really hammered it home in the first one, but they, they still do it in this movie. So clearly fruit, impending danger from fruit. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's it's used as a device. Um, but at minute 50, pivotal moment in the in the movie, Vito and his wife are eating dinner solemnly. Not sure what they're eating. It seems like some kind of a stew. Or a soup. Yeah. Some kind of a soup. But then, <laughs> then someone just knocks on the door and throws him a bag and tells him to hold it for a week. Turns out it's a bag of guns. This is Vito's entree into the life of organized crime or just the crime criminal underworld to begin with he's literally just out of nowhere thrown during his dinner he's interrupting something very normal to get handed something very abnormal bag bag full of guns isn't this the scene though where he has the pear no this is not that one oh we're we're coming we're coming coming Uh, my bad my bad my bad yeah at minute 51 Vito with jenko is eating dinner at the little Italian kind of like grocer. Yeah. And he sees Don Fanucci shaking down his boss. And then he sees Don Fanucci force Vito's boss, as you mentioned, into giving Vito's job to one of his boys. Yeah. And he sees that go down and, you know, his boss solemnly has to. But that goes down as the next dinner interruption, which is kind of pivotal in his metamorphosis from a straight-laced guy into a street guy into a into the criminal underworld it was he was literally forced to take a hold a bag of guns while eating dinner now he's eating lunch it looks like and he sees exactly how the world works through this figure of uh organized crime don Fanucci. He, he's, he's understanding now i see now i understand how this country works it's similar to the old country 
but not as tough as it is in the old country. Right. right. So after he's fired by his boss and uh, a very sad story, uh, scene where his boss starts crying and Vito has to like prop him up a little bit. Yeah. Vito's walking back home and his boss chases him down with a box of groceries and is begging him to take the groceries. Vito will not take the groceries out of charity. Yeah. He will not, his pride will not allow him to do that. No. So he goes home and solemnly puts on the dinner table a single pair. Yeah. That's it's all the man has. Beautiful for pair. Now. Yeah. Beautiful looking pair. Mm. Great, uh, but great use of food as a metaphor for a lot of things. What yeah. this man stands for, what this man's situation is, you know, what's at stake in his life at that yeah. moment. And, and the, yeah, and it represents the beginning of his new path, his new trajectory, in which a lot of people are going to get killed. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so now. The die, you can tell he's not a guy who was looking to get into organized crime. He yeah. was here to make it work. And it just through certain particular moments in his life, it seems like the universe was leading him in this way through no fault of his own. He was reacting to his environment more than he was creating it. And at minute 55, Clemen- young Clemenza, by the way, looking good, real, real spiffy. Yeah. Uh, and Vito, are they drinking es- espresso? And Clemenza tricks him into helping him steal a rug. Again, he's not thinking, I'm going to go help this man steal a rug. The universe has basically tricked him into taking a bag full of guns, you know, has put him in a position to see a powerful mob guy take his job, and now has tricked him into committing, basically breaking and entering robbery with uh, Clemenza. Yeah. And this is the, once again, going back to the Italian immigrant experience, a lot of people got pulled into the mob because they had nowhere else to go, right? And then, yeah. you know, wise guys would bring people in and get them to do stuff. And then, oh, you killed a guy. Now we're, you know, you're with us, right? Like, or you you stole that. Now you're with us, yeah. right? Or you like, lost your job. Like, yeah. you got to feed your family. Come with us. We'll pay Come you. Come with yeah. us. We'll do it. So it's a very, it's an interesting examination of, uh, the immigrant experience in the U.S. for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, um, I love how all these incidents take place in and around food when he's eating. You know, these when you're eating, it's supposed to be a safe place for yourself. You're supposed yeah. to feel kind of like, but these things keep happening to him while he's eating. Um, minute one hundred two, we go to Michael Corleone's timeline. Jump over here. He's visiting Hyman Roth, played incredibly well by the uh, legendary acting teacher lee strasberg mm-hmm. and uh, as he enters the house hyman's wife offers him a tuna sandwich i don't think i've ever been offered a tuna sandwich well someone's if, house if you ever come to my house i will make you a tuna sandwich and that being said i'm bringing in my grandmother's my grandmother made the best tuna salad i've ever had in my life All and right. since shout out nana um what's her last name uh, uh grandma rubinoff Grandma, um, oh, that's a hell of a name. No longer with us, but R.I.P. Um, Grandma Rubinoff. Her tuna salad recipe lives on, and um, a little correlation here. Uh, as I said earlier, Hyman Roth and his wife, I'm assuming, are Jewish. Probably, yeah. So I'm going to make a traditional Jewish uh, tuna salad sandwich. 
Okay, what are we going to call it? Traditional Jew or Hyman Roth sandwich? Yeah, let's call, call it the Hyman the Hyman tuna uh, Hyman Roth tuna salad sandwich. All right, we're popping the Hyman Roth tuna salad. We're popping uh, the cherry. Hyman Roth tuna salad sandwich. Wow, that got gross. <laughs> <laughs> at, at one hour, 20 minutes in, one of the, I think, most calculated uses of food in this movie, Hyman Roth is holding court with a bunch of other fa mafia family heads, including Michael. He's discussing the future of Cuba and his birthday cake comes out. It looks delicious as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And as he's divvying out the different territories of Cuba... They're literally, his help is literally giving people slices of cake. So he's slicing up the cake in a very heavy handed metaphor, I think, as a way to show he's slicing up the territories of Cuba uh, yeah. for these crime families. And the Cuba thing is interesting because this was um, right around the, the revolution in Cuba, right? Oh, yeah. Bautista is still in power at this point. So, yeah. yeah and, and Michael is, is concerned about that. He's like, I don't know if I want to put my $2 million into this. I don't, I'm not sure if this is stable. Yeah. So what year is this? Uh, I forget the year. Uh, I'm not sure. It's, it was back when everyone was just, Cuba was like the party spot. Uh, yeah, the Americans it, could go there and everything was great. Every, it was international. International yeah. people would and go then, there. It was casinos. Yeah, it was supposed to be the next big thing. Because it was also like, literally, you could go from Miami. Like, it was so quick. Yeah. You could even take a quick boat. Um, and then it all kind of just, like, this was Castro and them, right? Yeah, as soon as Castro showed up, party's over, man. <laughs> literally, yeah. we're out of here. I but, always, uh, yeah. I always mix up when because there was also in Cuba Jose Marti and that was a while before that. And Cuban history is fascinating, um, mm. but yeah, no, the Castro Revolution with and Che came over from South America to help out with that. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and, and basically ruined any chance of like turning Cuba into America's playground, right? Cuba basically was the Las Vegas of that time. Like yeah. it, 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 it was where everyone went to party, and it was great weather, and you know, loose morals and whatnot. And uh, now it's a communist utopia. So, uh, yeah. I, I, have you been there? No, I've been there. How was it? Uh it's interesting. I got okay. my I got my first tattoo in Cuba. Oh. <laughs> yeah, in some guy's backyard. Um, but Cuba's just an interesting place. People are really nice. Hmm. They're really cool people, actually. I really enjoyed the people there. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's it's similar to any other place, except for the fact that you can't get, like, American cars can't be imported there. So they have all these old, the old cars, cars. yeah, Or they have, like, Chinese cars. They're really crappy cars, though, right? Yeah, they got weird cars, um, and, and so it's, it's just—I don't know—it's—it's it's a, it's a place stuck in time, that's trying to modernize, but is stuck in time because if you're shunned by the U.S. and you are literally right now—that's your could be your biggest trading partner. Yeah, you, you got nothing. Yeah, it's crazy. Man, Cuba's a weird place. They consistently put out some incredible amateur boxers, though. They, they win a lot of Olympic boxing titles. Well, Fidel Castro was supposed to... He could he was good enough to play in the Major Leagues Baseball. 
I heard that. He's great. I wasn't sure if that was true or not. I I mean, it may not be. Please call me out. But I heard that as well. And and I heard that Castro should have been a major league uh, baseball player. Could have been. Hmm. And there are a lot of Cuban. I mean, Godfather Connection, if you want to talk about Cubans. Andy Garcia is Cuban exile. Godfather Part 3. So, you know, there's a Cuban connection there. Um, But yeah, no, a lot of Cuban ballplayers get exile over and, and, and play in the US. I love the Cuban ball players because you never know exactly how old they are. They just come over here and just start throwing fireballs to their near late sixties and we're like no great. one knows how old they are. Yeah. Great ball players. At minutes at one hour fifty three minutes in, Vito, Clemenzo and a young Tessio, uh all looking great as young men. Um they're eating spaghetti and try, discussing whether or not to pay Don Fanucci. Vito doesn't want to do it. He's feeling himself a little bit. He's like, you know what? I don't think we should be afraid of this guy. Yeah, I, I don't think he's that big of a deal. And the difference between this time and modern, like Michael's time, is when Vito came over, there weren't five families. Mm-hmm. So in the mob, when before it was like, was it Lucky Luciano brought together the five families or whoever was that did all that? I think it was Lucky Luciano. Yeah, it was Luciano. Um, brought together the five families and made it into kind of like a corporation. Before that, it was gangs. Yeah. So yeah, it started off. Yeah. New York was like gangs in New York. Gangs in New York. Like that whole thing started. But right. yeah. So Fanucci owned, had a gang and that gang ran that little area. Yeah. Right? That neighborhood. He, he was the neighborhood mob guy, basically. So to take him out is not going to anger any other gang. Mm-hmm. Right. Like mm-hmm. no one cares if you take out what. Until it got organized, the mob was just the Wild West. Yeah. So at 158, uh, young Vito goes to negotiate with Fanucci. Fanucci likes his moxie, accepts his lower offer, and offers to find him a job before very theatrically chugging an espresso and leaving. However, as he walks Little Italy and is being acknowledged by uh, the people, he's walking with the orange, with an orange in his hand which is a nice connection to Vito in the first film yeah. and how there's always violence surrounding or like deaths surrounding the orange. Yeah. The orange, the fruit is a precursor to death. Yeah. Yeah. So that orange is a, a, a harbinger of when Vito actually shoots him. But I also think it's, 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 show, it's, it's a bit of a symbol of, um, I guess aristocracy. I feel like the way he holds it, he holds it like a royal person, like, you know, yeah. almost like a scepter. Same with Vito. He kind of, the way he, he smells the orange and you know what I mean? He, like he's very, ha- very regal about it. Hamlet with the skull. Hamlet with the skull. There you go. Yeah. yeah. After Vito kills Don Fanucci in one of the great murder scenes of all time, um, yeah. as we were discussing before, phenomenal detail and just really thought out and designed well. Yeah. which I think is is something that should be done more. A very believable murder scene. Yeah. At two hours, 13 minutes in, Vito is buying oranges from the orange vendor. And the orange vendor says, no, no, Vito, you can take it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about the money. These He's are getting it for free, but it's not charity this time. It's out of respect. Yeah. And he takes it and He's says, earned. Earned. if you need a favor, let me know. You know, so now he's becoming who he's supposed to be. Yeah. And that's the the mob back then to Vito is based on people doing each other favors. 
Yeah. Yeah. But it's just funny how he wouldn't take the groceries for free when it was charity, but he does take it because the person respects him so much. Yeah. The big difference. Makes in, sense. As far as characterization goes. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. It just shows his mindset, right? So at two hours, 45 minutes in, a lot's happened. Um, Michael is dealing with betrayals all around. Uh, he realized that his older brother, Fredo, has betrayed him. He believes that... Hmm? It was you, Fredo. It was, he believes that Hyman Roth has betrayed him. He thinks other people may have betrayed him, but he's not sure. And then, while he's dealing with all these people who have already tried to take his life, tried to murder him, they shot up his bedroom. Yeah. At two hours, 45 minutes in, Kay, his wife, tells him that his son, his unborn son that was inside her, was not miscarried, that he was actually aborted. And this destroys Michael, brings him to his knees at the lowest point of his character. He feels that the world, he can't trust anybody, and this is the lowest blow to him. And he strikes at Kay. And a very, very low moment for, for Michael. But then yeah. that scene... It's 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 an incredible defeat for Michael. All these things are going wrong for him. All these enemies have closed in on him. It cuts to Vito, young Vito, with his extended family having a triumphant dinner. So you see Michael's family collapsing. Cut to his father Vito at this Vito's probably the same age. The yeah, yeah, at his highest, he's ascending. Yep. And in that scene. It, it it moves on, and this is the dinner we're sort of celebrating that um, Vito has started this importing company, importing olive oil, and he's got young Michael on his arm, and he feeds toddler Michael an olive from his olive oil factory. So, By far the most superior oil, olive oil. You're into it. Love olive oil. Okay. Yeah. All kinds. It's just such a good oil. Do you, do you get really expensive? How much do you spend on olive oil for a bottle? No, I you know mostly just the, like okay. I don't get the you know basic stuff. I get Bertoli or one of the bigger you know. Is is it in like a metal can like it an has, oil can? No, no. no. <laughs> the, the 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 rule of thumb with olive oil is like the more fancy and square the bottle, yeah, the the more it's going to cost you. But yeah. like, just get the basic stuff, like the stuff you I get, do. Yeah, I do. But it's it's always good. You get, you know, extra virgin or whatever, and you just dip bread in it, whatever. It's like olive oil is good. Like it tastes yeah. good. The texture's good. You can cook with it. You can dip things in it. It, it. You can infuse it with other flavors. It's just a great thing. It's like it, one of the best gifts. And I'm hoping it was, you know, the Italians or the Romans or the Greeks. One of the best gifts they ever gave us, I think, is olive oil. I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm very grateful for olive oil. Shout out to Olive Oil, man. Shout whoever, it out. Yeah. Whoever gave it to us, shout out to you, bro. Yeah, I'm assuming it was the Greeks or, you know. I think so. Didn't they make their entire empire on olive oil, I believe? Yeah, you know. It was like it was like the oil now, like real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so that's all the food in The Godfather, part two. I believe the, the not too much use of food, but not where it was used... Very effective in, in narration and moving the story forward and and, you, and expressing the characters, I think. Yeah. Very ta tactical use of food, as as was done in the first. Uh, tactical use of food. Mm. 
But yeah, I would say it was a little more sparse than before. I would have liked to see like a oh, nice. Oh, we almost forgot. We almost forgot. We almost forgot the very end. Oh, the big dinner. At the dinner table. Right, right, right. But it's, that's Coppola's yes. dinner scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where it's yeah. going to be um, the Marlon Brando version of Vito's surprise party, and everyone goes to the kitchen to surprise him, but Michael stays in the dining room and just sits there by himself. So yeah. Right. Classic. There's no real actual food in that scene, though, I believe. It's but it, like it's, a dinner. it's a dinner. It's a dinner. And it's a, you know, Coppola yeah. makes sure he puts that in. Um, but yes. Yeah. Great. Scene. All right. So now that we've gone through all the food and spoken ad nauseum about it, now comes the food awards. Food award number one. What is the best use of food in this movie, Jer? So I'll put it to you. I like the, I like the pear. Incredible use of food. Yeah. Great use of pear. I love pears as a, as a fruit. Underrated as a fruit. It's a very underrated fruit. but a very No one deli- talks about it. No one very, talks about pears. Very delicious and sexy fruit. Hell yeah. Uh, I mean, everyone thinks the apple is the sexy tree fruit, but no, no. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. pear is delicious. Cherries somehow get mixed in with sex for some reason. I don't know where that comes yeah, from. Yeah, I don't know like, what happened. Very there. cherries, very overrated as a as a fruit, just yeah. because of the whole sex vibe they got. Hey, going look, on. I, I'll I'll have a cherry from time to time, but uh, cherries are expensive. They're expensive. Yeah, they're, I don't know what's up with that. Why cherries are so expensive? But know. yeah, no, a, a pear is a delicious fruit, and this pear specifically kind of sets in motion. The entire Godfather franchise. Yeah. This is the pair that starts Vito down the path. So I think that's an important piece of fruit. Yes. Very, very important. And and just a a great visual, too. Just the one pair right there. Boom. You don't have to say anything. It's just. Yeah. The the wife's like, that's a hell of a pair. Yeah. Quality pair. Did look like a good pair. Yeah. And it makes. I'm going to go get a pair at some point today <laughs> fantastic but you fantastic. F- favorite use of food my favorite use of food a part of me wants to go with the heavy-handed use of divvying out the cake yeah. because it was just so deliberate the great scene but i must say i have to go back to the orange uh, don Finucci's orange just because it connects to the first movie so directly yeah and so the rhyming of the movies continues in a way that's unexpected I like to be surprised and delighted, and I think that did surprise and delight me. The use of the orange continuing it's from, a good, the, from the first good movie to the second movie. Tactical use of an orange, yeah, and and and, and yeah. it and it kept the theme alive of the orange representing uh, death. death, death of the king, death yeah. of the king, yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's the thing: this movie filled with powerful men, chalked to the rafters full of powerful men. So this is gonna be well, tough for you. Who would you like to have <laughs> which, dinner which with? Which father figure am I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I went back through the episodes and I've chosen, I've not been 100% that way. No, um, no, but it is, a, it is it's definitely. Uh, there, there are some, yeah. There it's some. a thing. It's definitely a thing. Well, I, I think in this one, uh, I mean, if I'm having a good tuna sandwich, Hyman Roth would be a good choice. Um, I thought you were going to say Hyman Roth. <laughs> But I'm not. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to call an audible. Uh, oh, I'm not going right. to go well, there. All right, all right. All right. I'm, I'm but you want a, to though. Look, if you no, want I'm to, I'm doing this. Do I'm doing this out of spite now. I'm spite. I can tell it's not the same. I'm spite picking a character. 
You don't even know. You want you want Hyman so bad. You are so attracted to Hyman's power and fatherly yeah. wisdom that you yeah. can't even think straight right now. You want to you want to have a date with that man so bad. It's true. It's yeah. It's Hyman. You do. Yeah. It's Hyman. Of course Roth. it is. I want to trying a, to kid. I want to have a tuna sandwich with Hyman Roth. You're right. You're Fair goddamn enough. right. You do. Next movie we watch. I'm I'm going <laughs> curveball on you. I'm gonna pick the most <sighs> low level operating prostitute that i can find <laughs> the receptionist at uh the hotel or something like that the, the front desk person yeah what are, what are we doing next i don't even remember oh i gotta i gotta pick my guy oh, yeah uh, pick your guy pick your guy. We'll, i we'll gotta pick that. um or girl let's see here not a ton of ladies in this i picked diane keaton the first time i believe yeah yeah i'm not gonna do that um, again i didn't like her do that again didn't like her as much in this can't pick talia shire because she's just gonna like Get two glasses of wine and just start unloading everything she hates about her family on me. Yeah. You know? Can't yeah. do that. Can't do that. Michael isn't going to say nothing to me. Can't take him. You know? He's just going to scowl at me and be like, why am I even at this dinner? You know? What contest did you win to get me to have dinner with you? So he's out. Uh, you know what? Fredo. Let's go, baby. Fre- let's why? go, Fredo. Why did you do it, Fredo? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to be like, I'm going out to dinner with Fredo, and I guarantee you, Fredo has some party favors yeah. that he's got in his pocket, you know what I mean? And he knows the spot to go to after dinner. Great. He knows, he, know, he knows the party spot. He knows Vegas. We're going to go out, we're going to have dinner, and that night is not going to end till about 4 or 5 in the morning. Me and Fredo, we're going to do this. You go fishing with Fredo. No, that's the one thing you don't do with Fredo. <laughs> not yeah. at all. Yeah. All right. That was Godfather Part Two: The Food Breakdown. Uh, Jer, any last thoughts? No. Are we rating it? Oh, we got to rate it. That's true. Yeah. What are your ratings? As oh, a you, food movie yeah. and as a movie movie and as a gangster movie. As a gangster movie, that's a five powerful, strong male uh, father figures. Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> As a movie, yeah, it's also a five. It's a great movie. Yeah. I mean, as a mob movie, it's fantastic. As a movie movie, it's fantastic. As a food movie, I'm going to ding it down to a four. Mainly because it's fair. That's the, fair. The food perpetuates the story, so that keeps it in the higher echelon. Yeah. But I want more like, and it's the same with the first Godfather. I want more like good Italian food porn. Mm. The Italians, the Italians make great food. They, like I said, the, the, you know, things like olive oil, these are their gifts to the rest of the world. Espresso, olive oil, uh, you know, pasta, pasta, all these great dishes that we enjoy. Antipasti, all that stuff. Everything we enjoy on a day to day basis. If you're going to do a mob mob movie, I want to see it. I want to, like, I want to feel that. And a lot of mob movies do focus on food because it's an mm-hmm. important part of Italian culture. This movie uses food tactically. And I think that that, I agree with that and I respect that. That's why it gets the four. Mm-hmm. If if I could do a half, I'd do a half, but we're not doing a half. We don't do half. So no. jury disregard that half. Yeah. Uh, but so that's a four uh, tasty uh, pairs. Oh, okay. Uh, I gotta go agree with you on the five, five father figures uh, for for uh, 
for gangster movies. I got to okay. go five out of five um, gunshots to the cheekbone as a okay. movie movie. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think you're right about I think you're right about the last one too. I think it's four out of five um, oranges that symbolize power. Okay. For, so for, our for our analogies movies. our analogies are on point here, and yeah. uh, and we agree kind of from a same level. Um, you know, just a little bit more Italian food porn for me, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's a hard five. Love it, love it. That was the Godfather 2 Food Breakdown. Um, I'm your host, Paul. That's my friend, Jeremy. He's a foodie. I'm a film nerd. And uh, this is what we do on our days off, I guess. Have a good day, everyone. Bye. Good one, Jer. Good one. Well played.